G'day and welcome to this very special 18-week podcast series, Ministry Memories, in honour of our 18th anniversary this year at Bayside Church. We've gone through the old archives and had a look at some of the fantastic guest speakers and ministers that we've had the privilege of hosting here in our pulpit over the years. We thought it'd be a great idea to revisit and remind and refresh our memory on some of the timeless truths that those ministries have brought through. Enjoy. How many of you have played a board game called, Jesse, you ready? How many of you have played a board game called Taboo? Some of you some of you have seen that, okay. The idea of this game and the word taboo is obviously a subject that, <clears throat> you know, not really meant to talk about. The idea of this game is that you get a word, you get a card uh, with, a, with, a, with a word on that and you're meant to try to help other people guess what that word is without mentioning some other key phrases okay so you kind of talk your way around the subject and to try to get people on the same page rather than just being direct and going straight to the point because they are subjects on which certain things are taboo next week is father's day and many of us are going to be hanging out with our families and i'm sure many of us have families where there's just certain things that are taboo we had a dinner last night with Wes and Paula. Paula said in her upbringing, there were certain things she was told that as a woman, she was just not allowed or meant to talk about. There was just certain things that were taboo. Politics, money, sex, certain things that are taboo. And yet the scriptures talk a lot. No, it wasn't sex, not last night. The, the scriptures, that's what we talked about over dinner last night. The the scriptures, however, on these big issues that are often seen as taboo have a lot to say because these are major life issues. The way people groups are governed, politics, money, the scriptures speak a lot about money and on things like sex and sexuality, the scriptures also speak a lot about them. As far as the scriptures go, they are not taboo subjects. And in this family, these are also subjects which should not be taboo because we live in a real world with real issues and serve a real God who has real answers. Come on. And so we as the church, yeah, you can clap, I think, if you want to. We are a church family. One of our high values is about being authentic, being real people. And, uh, and so we're going to talk about some real issues today. I have my mobile phone number up there. We weren't quite sure about the best way to do this, but I'm going to be the only... Well, I've got my phone on silent today. I'm going to explain something. Sorry, I'm, I'm a bit jumbled here. We have a guest speaker today. Patricia Wirakun has come from Sydney. She was here with us last year. She is a doctor. She is a sex therapist and a lecturer at the Sydney of University. At University of Sydney. I said the Sydney of University, didn't I? I need a coffee. Um, uh, what we did with Patricia last time she was here, she gave a presentation, and then afterwards we opened the floor for Q&A, for questions and answers. If you have a question you'd like to ask Patricia today, you can text me that question, and uh, I will we'll, we'll deal with that later. So that's why I've got my number out there if you had a question uh, you wanted to look at. But today she's looking at a subject that has worldwide implications and ramifications, something that's very important. It's the subject of pornography next slide thanks jess some stats i got 
43% of all internet users view pornographic material, of which one out of every three are female. The words sex and porn are among the top five search terms for kids under the age of 18. 3% of adult websites, only 3% require verification of your age, and 35% of all internet downloads are pornographic. 35%. The average time for watching internet porn is 15, per, uh, 15 minutes per session. The average age of first exposure is 11. 10% of porn users admit to being addicted. The United States spends $13.5 billion on porn and Australia have 2% of the world's gross um, expenditure. 2% in the whole world in Australia. And companies like Time Warner, GM and Marriott all make money out of selling films like this. Patricia has come today to speak on this timely issue. And I'm going to do the same thing that I did last year before she comes up. (laughs) We're going to close our eyes and pray. And because you might be visiting today, and you may not have known that Patricia was our guest speaker, If we open our eyes in 30 seconds and you're not here, no one will know, okay? (laughs) We're going to ask Patricia to speak about a very real issue of of pornography and sexually explicit material, maybe open up to Q&A later. And and so that's where we're we're going today, okay? Patricia, why don't you come and we're going to pray for you because uh, you've done this many times, but you need God's help and you you admit to that. Isn't she beautiful? Patricia Wirakun, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I need to get my creaky bones. Now, and la- last night she gave Paula a great lesson on how to cook curry, Sri Lankan style. So um, invite yourself around to dinner to Wes and Paula's house any time you like. <laughs> why don't we? Why don't we pray um, for Patricia? Ah, Dad, you're amazing. And uh, Father, we pray today that the gift that you have given Patricia the wisdom that you've given her and that grace and anointing that is on her would manifest its fullness today. We pray that she would flow in your strength and your power and your ability, your perception, and that you would help her to communicate clearly the things that are on your heart, things that are on her heart. And we thank you today that truth brings freedom and liberty. We, Father, come around your word today, and we, even as we place our own hands on our own hearts, why don't we do that? Say, Father, would you speak to me? And I'm here to hear what it is that you would have to say today. I thank you that today you give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we would know you better, but also that we would be well equipped to walk uh, in this life and uh, uh, in successfully well, healthy and whole. And so I offer myself to you today. Would you come and speak to me? I'm an open book and I submit my heart and my soul to you in the name of Jesus. Awesome. Welcome. Why don't you welcome Patricia? Go for it, Gav. Thank you. Um, sound check, we all right? Thank you. Thanks, Greg. Thank you very much, Ed, and thank you very much for inviting me back. This lovely part of the world, and look at that sunshine. Yes. Look, thank you, and it is really a privilege to be here. I'm what's called a sexologist. A sexologist, for those of you who may not have been here last year, is somebody who reads about sex, studies sex, writes about sex, does sex therapy, and for the little time left over, which is very little, we have sex. So we are kind of busy people, 
all in all, we keep ourselves very busy. There's very few Christian sexologists around. And, um, yeah, so I'm one of those. What are we going to talk about today and what in heaven gives me the qualifications to do this? I am a doctor originally from Sri Lanka and I've done my postgraduate study in America, in Hawaii, and I worked in sexuality and sexual health, therefore in three continents. And uh, over the last eight years before I retired, at the end of 2011, I was director of a graduate program in sexual health. God has laid on my heart this passion to bring my training in sexual health and sexuality to his word. And that's why when I retired, I put it in God's hands and I said, look, God, I'd much rather actually be retired with my knitting. However, I mean, I'm in your hands. And so God's been using me over the last 18 months or so, speaking like this all over Australia. And I've written one book on teen sex, which some of you have seen last year. And we're just about to put out another book called The Best Sex for Life, which goes from engagement through to the nursing home. And we talk about sex and sexuality and intimacy. However, today we're going to talk about pornography. And pornography is today about a $97 billion industry internationally. And as Chad said, the average age at which our young children are first exposed to pornography is 11 years. It is not something that we can now say is something out there. Because the statistics tells us that the churches and people in church are just as much liable to be porn watchers, if not porn addicted. And so we as a church can no longer just shut our eyes on this. I'm just going to take a second. Is there some interference coming through on this or are we all right? We okay? Okay. Okay. So what are we, how are we going to approach this? Can I have the first slide? Thank you. Okay. To get a framework for understanding porn or pornography, we must have as our foundation an understanding of the biblical basis for sexuality. We have to understand it. And the best way to understand it is to go back to the created goodness of who we are. So let's go for a few moments to Genesis and look at God's good gift and blessing of sexuality. You know, when God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Ladies and gentlemen, we are made in the image of God. Our identity, our very being is in the image of God. And in the image of the Trinity, we see that perfect relationship, the Trinity as one. That was a perfect relationship. And ladies and gentlemen, that is what we are created for. We are created for relationships. Vertically with God and horizontally with each other. As Chad was saying, community, church, working together. That is the relationship we are created for. The Bible tells us that we are embodied beings. When God created us in his image, he gave us a body. And these bodies, these embodied beings of Adam and Eve and the rest of creation 
are created by this triune God for a purpose. And that purpose is to worship him and serve him and others. Now it goes on to tell us that male and female, he created them. So we are created male, female, not something in between. Very distinctly male, female. We are gendered beings. To be human is to be male or female. Now Adam biology he was male he saw himself as a male and we all know what he responded when he saw Eve oh flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone what desire so he was the perfect male and she was the perfect female you see there was a complementarity there they were both created in the image of God but they were complementary and they were equal but with very specific roles in life. And this is very important for us to understand, especially today with all the debates going on about gender. Because that's another talk. But the thing is that with all those debates going on, we need to recognize that, that we are created male and female for a purpose. Now God says to male and female, be fruitful and multiply. Now, even in this world of surrogacy and in vitro fertilization, most of baby making is by sex. And you know, when God said, go and procreate and fill the earth, he could have made it the most boring thing ever. You know, like fill in a form, send it out, you get the baby delivered to you. But that's not what he did. He said, look, I'm going to give you the bits of your body that are going to make this command, keeping my command, the best fun you ever have in life. I mean, isn't that a gracious God who said, go out and make babies. And by the way, you'll have the best fun ever while you're following my command. You see, and then God looks on all that he created and he just doesn't say that's good. He says, that's very good. It's like having a million likes on your Facebook profile. You know, that is very good. You see, that is sex in its purity. That is sex as we are meant to have and enjoy. A gift from a good God and a blessing. You see, sex is very powerful. Our parts of our body, male and female, are pretty much similar, except for our genitals and our reproductive system. Such is the power of sex that even in the Song of Songs, we read, you know, where in Song of Songs we read how powerful sex is. You can see that husband and wife together enjoying sex. And in Proverbs chapter 5, we read of the, uh, the wisdom literature where we are called, the man is called to be intoxicated with his spouse. So the Bible recognizes that sex is very powerful. Now, when we look at pornography, we find that every aspect of this good body, this good sexual gift is tainted and twisted by pornography, by porn. And this is why it becomes such a powerful weapon in Satan's hand. You see, as image bearers of God, we are made to worship him and serve our partners as husband and wife. 
Now, what happens in pornography? Pornography turns that desire, which was supposed to be in God's plan for our wife, for our husband. It was for our spouse. But porn turns that lustful longings away from our partner. If you're not married, if you're single, the partner you may have in the future. And the honor of the other beings created, but turns that away towards some kind of caricature of humanity. So desire, which should be pure, then becomes lust. And God's gift of sex in marriage, which is the sacramental glue that holds the covenant together, becomes torn and twisted when porn becomes the source of some kind of a masturbatory climax for satisfaction. Can you see how in pornography we see the Romans chapter 1 twisting of sexuality? And let me just read you a verse there. It says in Romans chapter 1, Paul says, They exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to their sinful desires of the heart and sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another when they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And... They worship and serve the created things rather than the creator. Ladies and gentlemen, Satan has a field day with pornography. When people become compulsive porn users or addicted or even occasional porn use, it is the ultimate idolatry because we replace God with an image, a twisted image of humanity. Instead of honoring the image bearer, the image bearer becomes something that you lust over in porn. That is ultimate idolatry. You see, lust never has what it wants because it is never enough. That's about, that's what pornography feeds into. And we'll talk more about that in a while. You see, lust will steal joy by creating an endless discomfort and discontent. Lust is never happy because lust is never fully satisfied. And porn plays into that. There is no room for complacency because, as I said, sex is powerful. It is not for nothing that in 1 Peter 5.8 we read, Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion. See, prowls like a roaring lion. It's prowling. It's not even just pouncing, but it's there. And porn is like that. And, you know, we as a church are not immune to it. The statistics tell us that porn use is common in churches. I speak in many churches of many denominations and groups and independent churches. Every church will tell me, every minister or pastor or worker in the church will say that they have come across issues in their church. We are not immune to it. In many ways, we are even more susceptible 
because Satan wants to get his claws or whatever appendages he has into us. Because we are God's people. That is why we need to stand so firm. And sexual sin, ladies and gentlemen, is significant to God. All sin is significant to God. Otherwise, we wouldn't need the cross. But sexual sin is significant. You know, Jesus calls sexual immorality a sin of the heart. You remember Matthew chapter 15 where he said, you know, tear out your eye or cut off your limb. You know, sexual sin in Acts when writing to the Gentiles, sexual immorality is equated with idolatry in Acts chapter 15. And even in Revelations, we hear of sexual sin and immorality and idolatry being put together. Romans, it's sexual sin is an act of darkness. And, you know, in Corinthians, it's uniting your body with a prostitute, your body being a temple of the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, we are called to be holy. In Romans chapter 12, we read, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, we as a church need to stand there and be countercultural. And part of that cultural is our sexual purity. We need to be able to stand in the world as a people who are pure in our sexual behavior and our thoughts, not just on a Sunday, not just when you think, you know, your friends or your Christian friends are watching, but out there in the workplace and in the secrecy of your room in front of your computer or your iPhone, which has connection to the Internet when nobody is watching. So we must be just hold on to who we are and remain faithful to Christ and God in purity. Next slide. Thank oh, hold that one. So, what is porn? What is porn? So, let's do a little bit. Let me just give you some just descriptive stats here. Uh, anything that is sexual, explicit, and intended to arouse. Sexually explicit representations include images of female or male nudity or semi-nudity, implied sexual activity or actual sexual activity, whether it is literary or graphic. Next slide. Thank you. You see, we need to be very careful here. Porn is not just the dirty old person, man or woman, sitting in the dark with the laptop on, you know, the picture. It is anything that is sexually explicit. Ladies, we live in a world today where a book about a female virgin and a sadomasochistic, obsessive, control freak, older man has become an international bestseller. In case you haven't still cottoned on, that is the 50 shades or whatever shades of saga. That was a bestseller. Women considered it empowering to be seen reading it. I, I mean, maybe it's different in Victor Harbour or South Australia. But in Sydney, I mean, you couldn't, for some time, you could never travel in a train without seeing a woman reading one of those books. It was like empowering. You know, I am a woman. I'm, I can read this. And one day it was really interesting because I was reading my Bible and I had this old woman, so at my age, sitting next to me reading Fifty Shades of Grey. I wish somebody had taken a picture of that. But the point is 
that that is pornography. Many television shows, and today, just backtracking a bit, about a third of porn users are women. And catching on to the fact that literary porn attracts women. There are websites which provide bite-sized literary porn. In other words, just one screen of descriptive pornography. I was at the Sydney Literary Festival and I was listening to some of the the publishers talking about the latest trend is cross-genre porn. In other words, like um, vampires and pornography and... uh, the guys, I can remember the guys, the zombies. Thank you. I couldn't remember that last night either. Zombies and porn. So, cross, so it's pushing the boundaries and literary porn. Television shows. A lot, many of the television shows that are really popular today are pornography. I was speaking at another youth group in Sydney and the minister said, can you speak about Game of Thrones? And I was like, Game of what? Because in our home, the television is only on for like Super 15 and Bloody Slow Cup. For, I mean, I understand that here in South Australia, rugby union doesn't mean anything. But in Sydney, I mean, Australia, back in that part of the world, um, they're very much into rugby union. And that's all that our television's on for. But... The Game of Thrones, so I went and looked at, I googled it and I searched it. Um, There is a site called Huffington Post and they have collected sex scenes from Game of Thrones. 16 minutes of sex scenes. So I started watching it. I'm a sexologist and I have read and seen a lot of sex. I couldn't watch more than a few minutes of it. It was so explicit and so deviant in sexuality and sexual behavior. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're watching shows like that, you're watching pornography. And like one young person told me, but we tape it and we fast forward it over the sex scenes. So what does it make it a quickie rape? You know, don't be deceived. That is Satan's ploy. He used it to Adam, he used it to Eve when he said, did God really say? That same temptation will apply to you. Surely it doesn't matter that much. Next slide, thank you. In pornography, we find that men and women have perfect bodies. Sex is divorced from intimacy, loving affection, and human connection. Perfect bodies, you know, when you're engaged, you're 19, 20, everybody has perfect bodies. When you get to be 67 like I am and 40 years married, things have migrated. I don't know where they migrate from South Australia. In Sydney, they migrate to Melbourne. From Melbourne, they migrate to Tasmania. From here, I think South Pole, but wherever. I mean, you know, things migrate in your body. And so that's the point. You know, porn is fantasy sex. You go there and everybody is perfect. Women are constantly available. You know, gentlemen, you know, you love your wives, but they're not constantly available with their sexy lingerie out and waiting for you all the time. But porn is fantasy. It provides that fantasy that women are satisfied with any degrading act that a man may want. This is the unhealthy, 
unnatural fantasy and rarely is ever safe sex practice. Next slide, thank you. Now, why are we so concerned? Because in the cyber world of today, it's not like when we were young and you had, you know, you had to sneak into the shop and, you know, brown paper bag, Playboy magazine behind the shed kind of thing. But now we call it the AAA engine. Availability, quick and easy, instant sexual gratification, romance not necessary. You get your quick satisfaction. Just I and it. It is not an I and thou loving, as the Bible tells us. You've got to read 1 Corinthians 7. You know, your body belongs to your spouse, husband and wife. But this is not that way. It's just that instant gratification, available, any moment, accessible. It's not just a... It's not just a a laptop or the computer now. It's the mobile phone. We have young children in primary school saying their friends have shown them porn on the phone. 90% of people now view free porn online. In my therapy, in my practice, I keep meeting young men and women who say that they don't pay because there's enough out there. And, you know, it's anonymous. So even if you have an affair, you have a, you, you have sex with someone premarital or extramarital sex, you know, somebody might find out. Somebody hears about it. But with pornography, you can keep the sin so individual, so anonymous. Next slide. And the other problem we have is concern we have is that the temptation of porn is seductive. This is what the did God really say. And these are what we see in the clinic. I used to when I was younger, when I was single, but I don't do much now. The denial, the minimalization. I only look occasionally. It's not really a sin. I only look at pictures. The girls are half clothed. I only look at pictures. They're not doing anything. Then there's the normalization. Everybody's doing it. Then there's the rationalization. My wife doesn't give me enough sex, or my husband is so, you know, not innovative in what he offers me. I mean, I deserve some pleasure. I deserve it. Brothers and sisters, we deserve to go to hell. That's what we really deserve. Not the cross, not salvation. And yet we make those excuses. This is what we do as a human in our fallen nature. And finally, we see couples, we see men and women who actually celebrate the use of porn. It helps us in our lovemaking. Next uh, slide. Or what we can, can we go to the video now? We have a little video which talks about the science of porn. So while we are sort of just absorbing this, I think it's a good time if we can go to the video. We can go to that and Sexual come back. Sexual tastes vary from person to person. But with the current pornography epidemic, as some call it, one has to wonder how exactly this may affect our desires and perception of sexuality. Moreover, how does it affect our sex lives? 
Pornography constitutes about 25% of all search engine requests and is the fourth most common reason people give for going on the internet. And while it may seem to simply facilitate an instinctual sexual response linked to millions of years of evolution, the truth is pornography has dynamically changed over time, ultimately molding our tastes and desires. The not-so-shocking truth is that pornography has profound consequences for the brain and acts in many ways like a drug. With prolonged exposure, your tolerance is increased and many often find themselves addicted. Though it's not a physical substance, it leads to the same general loss of control, the compulsiveness to seek out the activity despite negative consequences, and withdrawal when it goes away, much like that of gambling or running, for example. The issue is that continued exposure can cause long-term or even lifelong neuroplastic change in the brain. Dopamine is released as a reward whenever we accomplish something, whether it be eating to sustain life or sexual activity to produce future life. And this dopamine consolidates neural connections in order to drive us to perform the same activity in the future. In other words, it alters and forms the brain cells to motivate certain actions. It rewires your brain. The National Institutes of Health measure drug addictiveness by testing rats. The rat is trained to press a button in order to get a drug, and the harder it works indicates how addictive the substance is. It turns out that the more addictive a drug is, the more dopamine we see released. And while there is, unfortunately, no rat porn that we can give to them, we do know that dopamine is also released during sexual excitement, which pornography plays right into. The more time you spend doing it, the more dopamine gets released, which reinforces the behavior and makes you not only desire it in the future, but require it. And as you begin to imagine these images away from the computer or while having sex, they become reinforced. Furthermore, each orgasm releases even more dopamine, which consolidates the connections made during the session. It's a feedback loop that becomes harder to escape. And just like a drug, your tolerance for visual stimulation has now compounded, making it more difficult to be turned on by reality. Pornography addiction can often lead to finding your mate less attractive. The good news is, it doesn't have to be permanent. Usually when people understand the mechanism and realize it's affecting their relationships, they can stop. The brain is often described as a use-it-or-lose-it system because the neural connections you stimulate grow stronger and desire to be activated, while the ones you ignore become weakened. Much like your muscles, which, if sitting still all day, itch for activity, but after prolonged non-use, they become complacent. Luckily, because of this use-it-or-lose-it brain, the same neuroplastic system that proliferates these habits can also be used to acquire healthier ones. Got a burning question you want answered? Ask it in the comments or on Facebook and Twitter. And subscribe for more weekly science videos. So that's a little bit about the science. Um, can we just move on to the next slide on that one? Thank you. Thank you. So that's a little bit on the science. It rewires our brain. It's like, you know, watching porn, as we saw there, use the same circuits. See, God gives us circuits for falling in love and finding that one person with whom we are going to spend the rest of our lives. You know, Genesis, leave and be united and you have that naked and no shame, one flesh relationship. That same circuits are being used in porn to just rewire our brains. And as it said, it's like a cocaine hit. It's that high and that powerful. And, you know, we even have, and I don't think they mentioned there, what we call mirror neurons. These mirror neurons, when you're watching porn, actually make a person feel like you are in there, involved in the act. 
This is how powerful this chemical porn addiction can become. Now, science, I just want to tell, spend a little time talking to you about the science which tells us what the effect of porn is. On men, boys, men, watching porn has creates a pressure to gain masculine status through sexual achievement, permissive attitudes to extreme sexual behavior, and positive attitudes towards teen sex, adult premarital and extramarital sex. You know, even our young people who come to us and say, what's wrong with having sex before you're married? I keep getting asked this. We are engaged or we are committed to being married. What's wrong with having sex? I tell them, how about we turn the question around? Why do you want to have sex before marriage? You know what's happening? We are buying into what the world says, which says falling in love is equal to lust. I love you means I want your body. Where does it come from? Largely being fed by the porn images, which means love means I want your body. You know, that crazy dopamine-driven love phase, I tell young people, lasts 18 to 20 months. Your marriage hopefully lasts longer than that. The lust in 40 years of married later isn't going to be the thing that's going to keep you together. If you can't honor your partner before marriage and it is lust that drives your love, rethink whether you're going to remain in that marriage for longer than the 18 months it takes for the craziness to wear out. But that's just a side bit on that. But, but, but the point is that this is what porn viewing does to men creates a tolerance for sexual violence. Now, is there a direct link between rape and porn use? We don't exactly know, but we do know that if you take people who are involved in child porn and, you know, you just look, the rate or the acceptance of violence is higher. Let's look at what happens with girls. Can I have the next slide, please? With girls, thank you, with girls we have the permissive attitude to sex. Positive attitudes again. And girls making objects of themselves. Sexting and selfies is a symptom of this. I speak in girls' schools and I speak to, and the girls sort of sitting there going, what's wrong with posting a sexualized picture of myself? And I go, why do you want to be a porn star? You who are created in the image of God, these are Christian schools, created in the image of God, you are a princess in heaven already. Why do you want to expose this God-given body for men to lust over? And that is what boys, I speak to boys, and they say, yeah, 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 you know, girls put up these pictures with their cleavage showing, and we go and we say, like it, and we say, great personality. But you know what kind of personality that is. I mean, what we really mean is great cleavage, we'd like to take you to bed. I mean, that is what, And but girls... They, they bought the message that porn is giving them because there is a cultural expectation that exposing your body, being sexy is what is powerful. 
and they accept that premarital sex and having sex before marriage doesn't matter. The statistics tells us that cohabitation before marriage really results in less satisfaction and a higher chance of the marriage breaking down. It's even given the term cohabitation effect in research. And in couples, can I have the next slide? Thank you. And in couples, what we see is there's a decrease. The use of pornography leads to a decrease in sexual satisfaction because of the objectification of the partner. This goes back to that kind of Romans 1 lifestyle we talked about. There is pornified expectation of partner behavior in marriage. There's distorted images of what intimacy means and sexual behavior. Today we are seeing couples where women come and ask us, is it normal to and name sexual behaviors that say 10 years ago we were never hearing. We're hearing women saying, is it normal for to have anal sex? Is it normal for my husband to want to ejaculate on my face? These are porn activities. And they are being brought into the bedrooms of Christian couples. Because I now only see Christian couples and singles in my therapy because there's plenty of other therapies out there for everybody else. And these are young and older Christian couples who come with me with these questions. We have allowed porn. We have allowed, replace that with Satan, into our bedrooms. And sadly, we are seeing men and women with seared consciousness where it doesn't seem to even matter anymore. They are desensitized. Don't even feel the shame of having done it. And there is an increasing need for porn arousal. So we are seeing men with erectile dysfunctions and premature ejaculations. And it's because you only masturbated to pornography. Now, you know, you're... 50-year-old wife, you know, she doesn't look anything like the porn star. So you can't get sexually aroused. And the slippery slope, once you want deeper and deeper, and it's called gonzo porn, the more severe porn and the more degrading porn, and then you move on from there to online sex and sex workers and infidelity. And, of course, the sadness is the destruction of relationships. The Ephesians chapter 5 relationship, Christ and the church, sacrificial, other-focused loving is not possible when porn is in the relationship. So, for those of you who may know someone who is a porn user or maybe in a group this big, there may be someone who at some level is interested or watching porn, Next slide, thank you. We need to be aware that there are some principles of how to deal with it. The first and most important thing is that you cannot do it by yourself. Remember the science. Your brain, the person, whoever is watching porn, even if it is just occasional watching, the images are like video clips in your brain. They come back. They come back even years after. I speak to young marrieds who say, 
I haven't watched porn for 10 years. And still, when I'm with my wife, I remember those images. It's impossible to do it by your own, on, on your own. Ask for help. We need to repent and confess that this is a sin. It is not the only sin. It is a sin among the many sins. But it is a particular sin because it's so easy to keep it quiet and silent and hidden. Until God is your chief concern, until sinning against Him is what makes your heart break, till you recognize that pornography is a sin against God, not just against your wife, yes it is, or your husband, or your church, yes it is all those things. But just like David said after he, you know, had sex with Bathsheba and sent his uh, Uriah to battle and killed him and did him, then goes to God and says, against you alone have I sinned? Finally, the sin is against God. Until you can recognize that and repent of that, till you can reframe your thinking and hate what porn is doing for you, to you, you know, as single and as a couple, till you can turn your mind and your eyes upon Jesus and Him only. I love that old hymn, which only few of you will be old as me to remember, which says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full on His wonderful face, and the things of this earth will go strangely dim, grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. And that is the one thing we need to do. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And then get the help from your brothers and sisters. Identify triggers. What turns you on? Journal it. Replace it. Write down. Journal what's making you feel that you want porn. There's web, web accountability software. But it is your members, your fellow Christians who will walk with you and help you. So find accountability partners. Find people, wise Christians who will walk with you. And next slide. And finally, if you yourself are struggling with porn, even if it is an occasional, don't be surprised because in Galatians 5 we read, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. We are fleshly beings. Yes, we are already princess and princesses and kings and queens in heaven, as Ephesians chapter 1 says. We are already there because we are saved. But we are still a fallen human being. And therefore, our human nature will conflict. And Satan will have, will try to keep his claws into us. So just be constantly aware of it. And pornography today is, as I said at the beginning, the ultimate idolatry. So be aware, not just here, but when you are in the world, when you're out there, get help and remember that God can forgive and God will heal if we turn to him. Thank you. Can I have, yeah, so that's my contact. However, we can go into questions now. We can go into question time. But that's my contact. If anyone would like to directly contact me, I'm happy for you to do that. I do respond to emails, even if not immediately, when I get back and when I have time. But
Can we put that phone here? <laughs> um, uh, I was a youth worker a few years ago, and uh, I designed sex ed courses, and, and that is part of that. But one of the things I remember doing is um, I was up in Adelaide at a forum of health workers and youth workers uh, on sexual violence, respective women and, and sexual violence. There's probably a couple of hundred people there in the room. There was a panel, politicians, um, sexual health experts, and people who, who, who trying to change the community's look on violence against women. And uh, there was an opportunity for Q&A. Um, probably 10% were men. Uh, I stood up and I said, does, in this discussion, uh, in trying to prevent violence against women, does censorship for pornographic material ever come up? Like, it wasn't, wasn't mentioned at all. Um, and does, is, is that ever a possibility? Someone's texted me a question about, is there any way to lobby about those type of issues to politicians or whatever, because the answer I got was that the, all the panel <laughs> looked at each other and go, uh, no, no, that, that's, we don't, next question. You know, it wasn't, um, yeah, for me it seemed like such an obvious thing. Yeah, um, well, I think the government toyed with it at one time, you know, that is it possible to sort of censor, but how much and how far can you censor? This is the, real, the reality, is that so you can maybe stop the sort of triple X gonzo porn type thing. But television shows, you know, the ease of accessibility, you cannot completely stop everything. It is just not possible at a government or at a state level. It has to come down to the family and to the individual. You know, it's a bit like Adam and Eve, you know, like after they sinned and, you know, turned away from God and had the apple. I mean, Adam, God goes to Adam and says, what have you done? And he says, excuse me, the woman you gave me, she asked me to eat. As like Eve, God says, and she says, oh, me? No, 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 the snake. You see, as humans, we are really good at that. You know, if the government was to censor everything, then we'll be fine. Ladies and gentlemen, we are not bonobo monkeys or chimpanzees. We are created in the image of God, and God has given us a brain, a cerebral cortex, with the ability to make choices. You know, we're not, I mean, I get asked this all that time, you know, Every other species has homosexual activity. Yeah, sure. And, but why shouldn't we? Because we have a thing called self-control, which the Bible tells us happens to be one of the fruits of the Spirit. You know, we are given brains by God. So we can't ask the government to make us stop watching porn. We have a choice. We have a choice, and it is up to us individually and as parents and the churches, as you are doing now, to be conscious of the power of it, to be conscious that it is there, and educate our children, educate our teenagers, educate our young people that they can then turn away from it and set that countercultural example to the world. Why are we trying to sort of abrogate that responsibility to somebody else? We are the people of God. We are the ones who should be setting the example out there. 
I'm sorry, I get passionate about this. <laughs> Next question. And it's uh, and a very good health, just a very healthy thing. I think the the unhealthy nature of yeah. pornography that we can introduce, even to people who don't walk mm-hmm. with God, our friends who mm. aren't Christians, that we, we know it's an un- clinically it is a very unhealthy uh, thing. And what he does, I mean, you know, even people who aren't Christians still recognize the power of it on their lives. Yeah. And so when you discuss with people and you tell them, I mean, this, I mean, if anyone's interested, email me, I'll send you the data, I'll send you the articles. The thing is, the, the, the research out there as to how bad it is, how horrible it is on young people. The young people recognize it themselves. They're, young people are speaking out. This is, we're not just in Christian forums saying, the girls say to me, and this is sometimes I do speak in non-Christian forums, girls tell to me, say to me, all our boyfriends watch porn. Our boyfriends ask us to groan like porn stars. You know, one year nine student told me that a friend of hers was nude with her boyfriend and he freaked that she had pubic hair because all he knew was from porn stars. Uh, This is what, so they are aware, our young people are aware, the adults who watch porn know that it is destroying their lives. We need to unashamedly get out there and speak about it. Yeah, and obviously that video that we watched was not made by mm-hmm. a Christian organization, no. and it's a, it's a science thing, that was. Um, I asked around a couple of the boys yesterday before um, playing skirmish if there was any um, Q&A, and um, with, particularly the, those of us who work with people who aren't Christians as well, we hear this thing of um, sex is talked about if, if we're in a male environment. I guess my business is probably the same with the girls' environment. But um, guys saying that when they were, they were quite active before they were married, and then after they're married, it's like the, the paper put an end to that part of their life. Um, is the, the, the engaging in sexual activity as a pastor, you said you've seen this in the clinical eyes as well, married couples whose sex lives are not very active and actually comes back to trust issues that were formed before they were married. Is that a clinical thing um, that we can explain to our, without using putting God into the picture from a non-Christian point of view, is it a clinical thing to say sexual activity prior to a commitment is, yeah. Well, like I said very briefly, that the research tells us a couple of things. One is that where we've had, and I repeat that, where we've had couples who've been cohabiting, living together, and then getting married, you find that the rate of marriage breakdown is higher in those who have cohabited, that the relationship satisfaction is less in those who have been married. Now, they're only theorizing what the, why that cohabitation effect is there, although we do know it is there. I have my theory. I believe that, you know, you meet and you start having sex. You aren't doing a lot of conversation. You know, you're in bed and you're naked and having that, you know, orgasmic experience. You aren't really sort of, and so what's your hobbies, dear? And, you know, and what do you like to do on a free day? It's not really conversing to get to know the person. So when a relationship has been based on sexual intimacy or on lust, basically, let's call it what it is. When a relationship is based on lust, once you are married and that, you know, excitement of waiting and, you know, that excitement of 
especially if you're a Christian, but even non-Christians, days are like they're forbidden, you know, you're not married, you know, that the girls got to try hard to keep him because there's other girls out there and the guys could have, you know, having sex because there's girls there and they're, they're there for him. But once you get married, that excitement, that sort of, let's call it the forbidden fruit, isn't there. And so you've already done it, you've been there, you've had it, and then now you're probably beyond that part where the sort of crazy love face of dopamine and you're moved into a more sort of relaxed phase, the excitement's gone. And you need that excitement, so you go look somewhere else. But in couples who've stayed pure, not had the premarital sex, they've spent the time actually getting to know each other. And then they get married, and then they can actually find out in that naked and no shame environment where the commitment has come before the sexual intimacy. They can then explore the sexual intimacy knowing that there is a sacrificial love foundation to it. And that, I think, is the reason. The other thing we are also seeing in research is that a lot of young girls especially are now saying how terrible they feel about having sex early and how bad those experiences of having sex early have been coerced. I mean, we, we, in our research, the research coming out, and this is like 20, 2009 statistics, the next wave is just being done, where they talked to over 3,000 young people, years 10 to 12, and 80% were sexually active in some way. 25% of year 10s and 50% of year 12s have had sexual intercourse. Now, the next wave of research is just being done, so we don't know. It may be more, it may be less. But among the ones who have had sexual intercourse, the girls, about a third of the girls said they were coerced into sex, sexual intercourse and they regret it. So especially girls regret having had sex early. And that's what we are seeing. And... On the, uh, particularly with friends who aren't Christians and bringing the God persuasion is not going to be particularly helpful for them or an open door, do you have resources or do you know someone who has resources that explains the damage of porn without Christian language? Is, is any of that... Do okay, you know someone who's... All the data that I used comes from just secular papers. Yeah. So do I'm happy to share that with anyone. I mean, they affect on men, they affect on women, they affect on couples. That's all I, from... I think I've read articles in men's health magazines yeah. and stuff like that. But is there actually any sort of pamphlets, any, anything that's like you can almost hand to somebody? Mm. That is a subject that's easy to talk to, easy to talk mm. about with, with... I can't... Oh, I just can't think of anything. But, I mean, that's... I'll go back and look. And if I find anything in my, on my computer, I'll send it over to you. Okay. Okay. Um, on a theological level, and this may be best, best coming from me, but as human beings, one of the things about being created in the image of God, we are relational. We are also spirit, soul, and body. And any, um, when, when you come to Christ, when you are in Christ spiritually, your spirit, who is the real you, is made perfectly righteous and whole which is why you can access the throne room of grace and a perfectly whole, holy God with freedom and confidence. Your spirit, which is the part of you that lives forever, is eternally wiped clean. On this planet, when we sin, 
It doesn't affect our completely pure eternal spirit, but our soul and our mind, our health on this planet is affected. And so pornography use will not change your eternal destination, eternal life. That is something that the blood of Jesus, your eternal spirit has been reborn. Your destiny is heaven. But on this earth, it will cause you to live in hell. <laughs> I think that's the, it will damage your soul and damage uh, your mind. So like anything, uh, it is something that's very unhealthy, unhealthy for you on this planet, but it won't affect your eternal destiny. These are also a question I've received today. So your eternal destiny is because of Christ and what he has done. But on this planet, that the true you, your true righteous self, the process of sanctification is becoming more and more like him in the way you think, in the way in your soul health. And that is an ongoing journey as you walk with God that causes you to become more like him on this planet and therefore sh- demonstrate more of him as we walk in wholeness that is a, uh, a, a brief answer to a long question we address that a lot in this church anyway is there one last thing you think can you t- tell us a little bit more and we'll close with this on your next book which will come out in a few weeks time just walk us through the stages of that okay. I think we should generate some interest in the next book it actually sounds really good I love the last chapter some of you it's, will too uh, but it's, what's it? yeah. it's called Best Sex for Life and it's, it was written because a number of churches where I had gone were asking me, what do you got to say to engaged? What do you got to say to newly married? What do you got to say to older people? So we decided that we'd start off with a section which talks about the theology of relationship and marriage, which I sort of did an initial draft and then showed my son, who's a Presbyterian sin minister, and he said, Mom, that's horrible. So we redid it. And anyway, so it's written with a number of ministers and people's input on that. And then there's one on that looks at the body and um, the sexual response and just basically understanding that. Then we go through a lifestyle perspective. We start with the engage time. We call that from diamond ring to wedding band. And then we talk the newly married. We call that honeymoon sexpectations, where, you know, sometimes the sexpectations don't always work out. Then we talk of the married time, you know, ever since babies start coming. And we call that growth in sanctification. And I if you've been married for some time, know that, if God had a workshop for sanctification, he labeled that marriage. And uh, then the last chapter is sexy and 60 plus, which looks at two stages. One stage being people like us and some of you here who are like the, the sort of retirees who have the children out there and can run around naked in the drawing room and not worry about it. And then the final stage of being in a nursing home and, you know, being really, really ancient and still needing and wanting that intimacy and that it is okay to want that intimacy and that skin hunger of being with someone. So that's what the book is and hopefully it will be out somewhere in October. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au. And of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day. Bye.